today we're going to be talking about the, my thoughts on, on our series and kind of a conclusion. Um, this next picture, some of you might recognize. Um, we had the unique privilege, uh, due to circumstances, of my daughters Laura and Emma uh, living in the home that my, my grandmother, their great-grandmother, also lived in. Uh, and they loved her as a very sweet, tender relationship. Uh, but Grandma was in her advanced 90s, almost 100, uh, when she passed. And all of the frailties that come to the human body um, when you get to be about 100. And on the night that Grandma passed, this is the first time Laura and Emma had ever experienced the passing of someone that they loved. I overheard Laura, who's about five, saying to Emma, who's about three, she said, Emma, it's okay. Grandma is with Jesus in heaven, and Jesus gave her a new body. And she said, but if you go to hell, you keep the same body. <laughs> From five-year-old Laura into darkness, bringing hope, into sadness, bringing the future. The grave doesn't win. Yeah, that simple. What I'd like to do this morning just a little reflection of that. Just what is it? What is it in ten minutes? What is it that we're called to this amazing adventure of life that God has called us and to participate in? What is it? And then I'd like to share three realities as I've lived this have become very, very apparent to me. And when I say them, they're going to be apparent to you too. And you're going to say, oh, Ed, you're telling us nothing new, except it is fascinating how often uh, we add layers and barnacles to them. So the first thought in a way is, what is this gospel? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I would bring you to this one verse. This verse is spoken by Jesus. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's the one who spoke these words. The king of the kingdom, here he is speaking. And this is what he says. The kingdom of heaven. And when the king is speaking about his kingdom, it's good to listen. All right, he's about to tell us, what is your kingdom like? What is my kingdom like? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found this treasure, he hides it again and with joy. He goes and he sells all that he has to buy this field. Now, as we shared the last time I got to speak with you, where the Bible begins, the entirety of God's revelation to us, it begins with the God who is the reason for everything declaring this from the beginning. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. And if you took that sentence from God, and you read through the rest 
of the Hebrew Bible with that sentence. You'd be stunned how often you hear the Lord saying, I want to be your God, and you want to be my people, and I want you to be my people. And then, of course, you would be reading through the Hebrew Bible, and you'd say, oh, my goodness, life is a mess. It's horrible, and it's broken. Look at this evil. Uh, And the Lord is saying, exactly, this is a reflection of you. But I am going to work through it. I'm going to work in it. And I am going to make a way to redeem you to myself, to bring you back to myself. And you get to the end of the Bible. Genesis, right on through. In the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, God himself gives a vision of the future. A vision of the future that he wants for you and for me. And it's a vision of the future. And guess what God is celebrating? Guess what he's celebrating? It's happened. What I've wanted all along. I am dwelling with my people. I will be their God and they will be my people. That is the thrill of the heart of God. Imagine that. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue, people like you and me, Genesis to Revelation, God is revealing, this is what I'm all about, and God is saying, I have a treasure. I have a treasure. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us here in Matthew about his kingdom There was a man who had a treasure and he sold everything to buy it. No one has paid more for anything than Jesus Christ has paid for you and for me. No one. And it's not even close, a distant second. The apostle Peter tells us a man sells and buys with He says, Peter says, you're not bought, redeemed with false things like money, gold. You've been valued and you've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And what the gospel declares and the echo to the longing of our souls Do you know what is better than having a treasure? What's better than having a treasure is being a treasure. And the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ is declaring that God has a treasure. And it is people. It is you and me. I might even suggest that Christianity as a religion ends and Christianity as the faith relationship with Lord Jesus Christ, it comes alive when your heart is opened. Oh my goodness, look how much you've loved me and we love him because he first loved us. And this is why when the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it's because there's nothing to be ashamed of. It is fantastic. The gospel is almost too good to be true, true. It is extraordinary. And this is what the Lord calls us into. This amazing, sacrificial, beautiful redemption of life with him and with the future. 
of the God who's overcome sin, death, hell, and all the disintegration and all the evil, and he offers to us forgiveness and new life and life with him, it is fantastic. So the three points in this context of this fantastic gospel that the Lord Paul says, you don't need to be ashamed. Yeah, don't need to be ashamed. Look. Three points. The first point is this. The kingdom is about the king. Period. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about Jesus Christ. To put it this way, Jesus Christ is not the ABCs and then you move on to doctrine and politics or wherever you go. No. Jesus Christ is the Lord of everything. And anything else that follows is in relation to who Jesus Christ is. Everything. Now there's three times that the Father speaks in the Gospels and all three times he says essentially the same thing and twice he says exactly the same thing. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So think about this. God the Father, God the Father, who, let's face it, he's seen a lot. (laughs) He's done a lot. Maybe you'd say his level of what it takes to impress him. God the Father says, This is my son. I think he is absolutely wonderful. This is the one who thrills the heart of God. And the Lord says, here, look at him. I think you'll agree. And then there was this time that, uh, sorry, uh, come back to this one. And then there was this time when... uh, the apostles, Peter, James, John, were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and what happened, if you don't know the story, is that they were up there, and the cloud came down, and, and for short what happened is Jesus gave a little glimpse of himself, because they were used to this skin-covered man, kind of powerful, kind of interesting. And then suddenly, it's like Jesus just unzipped and revealed a little bit of what is inside, And suddenly they realized, oh my goodness. And they were speechless, except for Peter. Usually when you're speechless, good to... (laughs) Peter was like, oh, well, we need you to... uh," And the father just goes, this is my son. Listen to him. And that is the first and primary. The father is confident in the Son. The Father thinks he is absolutely wonderful, and if you listen and you look at him, uh, to the next slide, thank you, Jesus has his confidence. If I am lifted up, I will draw people to myself. Jesus will do it. Why? Because he is stunningly compelling in whatever realm. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who is wonderful and the Lord Jesus Christ that this is all about and the Lord Jesus Christ who will do the drawing. God is very 
confident. And we should be too. That's what we're invited to. Learn of Jesus. and You'll become more confident. Because you know what happens? This is going to be one of the great things of forever. We're never going to be like, wow, Jesus is in kind of an off mood today. Mm, keep your distance. He is morally every way beautiful. And the Father says here, listen to him, I think you'll agree. And this leads to the second point, when Jesus is saying, I will draw men to myself. I had a, a friend who named Lorraine, and Lorraine started uh, the atheist club in her high school. She hated religion, God, Christianity, the idea of God, Christianity. And her sophomore year at the University of Kansas, uh, any Jayhawks in the house? No? Okay. Her sophomore year at the University of Kansas, um, Gideons came on the campus, giving out their little green New Testaments. And uh, Lorraine, when she saw this, just flew into a rage and gathered a little circle as she was just tearing into this Gideon who was handing out the little New Testaments. And after she finished her, her work, she walked away. And as she was walking away, she became overwhelmed with the reality of, I've never read the New Testament. And so she snuck back to another Gideon <laughs> and asked, hey, could I have one of those? And for the next month in her dorm room at the University of Kansas, she read through the New Testament. And in reading through the New Testament, her eyes and her heart were opened and she received the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior and her Lord, and she told me the story with a big smile holding that little green New Testament. And I, I tell you that story not just because of what God did in this instance, but of this truth. Where there is conviction, where there is new life, where there is light, it is always the work of God. It is always the work of the Spirit. Persuading someone to love Jesus Christ is not hard. It is impossible. Impossible. It's way above our pay grade. Way above. This is what the Lord says, for instance, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those, him, those who love him. Those, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The things of God are revealed to us by his spirit. So the first point I want to make in this is remove the stress of performance anxiety. Oh, I have to convert. I have, no, no. It's not your job our job, and so much of the stress of life when it comes to something like this. You know what causes stress? 
What causes stress in my life is when the people above me come and say, hey, we need you to do this, and it's going to take 120 hours to do it right, and we need it Tuesday. That causes stress. When you have 120 hours of work to do, and you've given 20 hours to do it. I have three children, and they have to be at three locations at the same time with one car. It causes stress. The stress of performance, I need to be the one. No, you don't. You don't have to defend Jesus. He didn't call you to do that. Jesus doesn't need to be defended. First of all, he has no insecurity. Second of all, he's the Lion of Judah. Do you know how you defend a lion? You just let it go. The new life that we're called to share, it is life of the Spirit. It's deep calling to deep. So then, now God has, though, given us the privilege of sharing, of participating. And what is the primary way? Not the only, the primary way that the Lord has invited us to participate in the work that he is doing. The Lord has not only given the gift of his Son, but he's given the gift of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in his name to teach us. It's the Holy Spirit. And I would add, the Lord says there, I forgot to put it on the slide, the Holy Spirit will teach you of all things. The Holy Spirit will teach you about me, the Lord Jesus says. These are deep, powerful spiritual truths, and God has given his Spirit to teach us. And what is the Holy Spirit primarily wanting to do in our lives? Fair question, right? What is the Holy Spirit primarily wanting to do? And I'm going to share this by beginning with a brief example of two weeks ago. I met a man who had no home. No home and one set of clothes and I looked in my wallet, and I had a single bill, and it was a 50. So I smiled, and in Jesus' name, handed it to him. And it might cross a mind and say, oh, that was kind of generous. And the answer is, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because I'm living in a place of relative abundance. For me, there's an ATM not far away where I can go get more. I've got abundance. What would be generous is if this man who has nothing but only that $50, that's all that he has, if he was then to turn around and say, hey, I ate this morning, but you haven't eaten since two days ago, I'm going to give this to you. I have one pair of socks, but you have none. I'm going to give this to you. That would be generous because what drives so much of our negative behavior and things like that is fear of what it's going to cost us on all kinds of levels. Fear of what it's going to be. Fear of scarcity. Fear of not enough. When you get to a place of abundance, you can be generous. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit and God wants to do. The Holy Spirit is given to pour the love of God into our hearts. Pour the love of God into our hearts. As John would say, 
Behold, take a look. Take a look at just how much God has loved you. Look at it. Luxuriate in it. It's fantastic. Just how much God has loved you. And the Holy Spirit wants to take this reality and make it an abundance so that your life is full of love. And then do you know what it's like to go into corporate America or whatever job you're in, you know, the doggy dog, so to speak, and you encounter somebody that is actually rooting for your success? It's wonderful. Somebody who maybe there's blame to go around and it wasn't their fault, but they know they've got standing in the company that somebody else might not. So, hey, I'll take the hit, even though I didn't do it, so that you can be a preserved. What? Somebody, you're going for the same position or the same role, and you get it, and they don't, but they're just as happy. They actually love you like they... It's supernatural, and it's beautiful. And can you imagine having a, a, a boss who's so filled with patience that they're patient? People hate when you're patient, don't they? Oh, I hate when people are patient with me. So full of joy that it allows for patience, kindness. And you know where this is going. These authentic life qualities they are the fruit of the Spirit. And what the Lord is looking to do is pour the love of Christ into your heart so that your heart, our hearts, go from the scarcity that sin brings to the abundance that the gospel and life of God brings. It's supernatural and it's beautiful and it's compelling. And here we come to this question. Light, how much noise does light make? But you know when it's there and when it's not. How much noise does salt make? You know when it's there and when it's not. And what the Lord is calling us to into being a witness, being a witness is primarily not something you do. It's what you are, who you are. That's what the Lord is calling. The Lord talks about the walk, your walk, your walk with God, the walk in the Spirit, the walk before men. Let your walk. The Lord is not talking about your somersaults. You know, somersaults are something you can do on summoning, but it's not who you are and what you do all the time. If we look at doing evangelism as the opportunity to do a somersault, what the Lord is talking about, what I'm primarily asking of you, is to drink of me. Drink of me, the Lord says. Let my love, let my who I am flow into you. Drink of me, and then out of you will flow waters, living water, for the healing of the nations. That's what the Lord is calling us to. And in those moments, what he also does is, when you get to be like who you hang around, the people who the Lord Jesus loves, you end up loving. And in the spirit, you can pray for them because one of the things with an opportunity to actually share the good news of Jesus rarely does it come with a two-minute warning. 
but usually it's unexpected because, and I have this right now, candidly, with, with a friend I just ran into Saturday. Two months ago, zero interest. Saturday, he confided of something tragic. And I said to him, his name, I am going to pray with you. And the beam that came over his heart and mind in that moment was something that never would have occurred. And you know what? It's in the Lord's hands. And now I'm going to have the privilege of walking alongside him through this turmoil and being Christ to him. Which leads us to this final point for, a mo for our, our morning. What is the primary way the Holy Spirit, as he pour, will pour the love of Christ into your heart and then equip you to be light and salt and share the good news of the Lord with other people. What is the primary way, or certainly I say a primary way, that the Lord does this? And I'm going to suggest to you Scripture. Scripture. This is the third of my points. Our freedom to be salt and light comes in our confidence in the Lord Jesus, confidence in the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do, and confidence in Scripture. Now, Scripture has taken kind of a bad rap, certainly in our culture, and I would guess Scripture has maybe taken a bad rap through all cultures in certain ways. And, and why is that? Well, one of the reasons why that is is because in the hands of religion, Scripture is used to communicate, I agree with God about what's wrong with you. I agree with God about what's wrong with you. In fact, this is so endemic to the human experience that when the Apostle Paul wrote the great epistle gospel of the gospel in the book of Romans, he begins by telling of, of, of the great Lord and Savior, but then man's sin and rejection and the darkness and the wrath and all of the brokenness that has come as a result. And when he gets to chapter 2, after finishing talking about man's need of the Savior, uh, the first thing that he says is, oh, by the way, before we go on, uh, you religious people, <laughs> who do you think you are? Yeah, this is you too, because that has been the nature of what religion tends to do from the beginning. Take scripture and point it in the direction of other people. And you'd say, Ed, don't you know that the word of God is the sword and that's why I've got to use it to convict people of their sins? And the answer is, the word of God is not your sword. It's not our sword. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. It's the spirit who gives life and power to the word of God. The spirit. It's not our sword. And second of all, the scripture says the spirit doesn't come first and foremost to convict people of their sins. It's very easy, of course, for us, like the Lord Jesus said, 
we're like men looking at moats in other people's eyes with beans coming out of our own. That is so human to be able to see the flaws in other people oblivious to our own. That's so human. That's not supernatural. That's not the gospel. That's human. What the Holy Spirit has come to do is not begin by convicting people of sins, lowercase s. The Holy Spirit, John 16, the Lord tells us, came to convict the world of sin. Sin, the root. And what is the root? The root, the Lord Jesus says, is they don't believe in me. Everything else is way downstream. The heart of the matter is the relationship and the salvation between the human being and their God, our God. And this is why the, scripture, the Lord says regarding the Scripture, next slide, you search the Scriptures. So what are the Scriptures all about? He says, search the Scriptures. These are what testify of me. They testify of me. And the Lord goes on to say this. He says in Isaiah my word that goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purpose for which I send. So the invitation and the calling and the command on our lives is to immerse ourselves in Scripture and to let the Holy Spirit speak to us, teach us of Christ, and in the context of Christ, then be transformed because that's what Scripture in Corinthians says. Three, as we look into the mirror of gazing at Christ in the Scripture, we're transformed to be like Him and let the Lord equip us. The Lord, and I asked Jeffrey and the team to, to come up. My, my concluding thought, to summarize this up, for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, the great gospel is about a our Lord, Jesus Christ. He's absolutely wonderful and have great confidence in him. Number two, the work of God that we are invited to participate in, it's work by the Spirit. Have confidence. No reason for performance anxiety. It's the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit gives us the opportunity to live in his presence, to listen and to love and to serve. And the final thing is to have confidence in Scripture. The Lord will accomplish. So if you're a believer and you're thinking about how do I share, the first point, the first is, you know how when you fly in a plane and they say, hey, oxygen, lift the mess. If you're with someone who needs help, get the oxygen yourself first. It's the Lord Jesus being in love with him, spending time in his word, and having him revealed to us. That's first. And if you're not a believer and you're wondering about the Lord, it's the same thing. No preacher up here. No, we, this is way above us. It's you and the Lord. And I would recommend, just as a, take the Gospel of John, 10 verses a day, why? Because you can do it. Just ask the Lord, Lord, if you're there, I don't know if you are, but if you are, show me. This I'm confident in. If you will spend time in the Word to seek the Lord, His Spirit and His Word 
will do what God longs for all along to bring you to the Lord Jesus and to bring you to God the Father. The confidence in them. Thank you.